Trump is a transactional leader at his heart. If you do good by me, I do good by you. If you do bad by me, I do bad by you. And since the evangelicals helped win him the presidency, there came three Supreme Court justices. There came the embassy to Jerusalem. There, there came standing up for the sanctity of human life. So transactional leaders can do transformational things. It just depends who they're carrying out the transaction with. Welcome back to The Narrative. Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, David Mahan with you for another episode. And with three dads sitting around the table, gentlemen, and the holiday coming up this weekend, let me be the first to wish you a very happy non-birthing parents day. <laughs> it is going to be a, a great day of celebration and cookouts and all that stuff. And I say that kind of in jest because it's going to be a theme of our discussion around the news that there's a lot we're seeing around the nation and even across the, the street in the state house about things that we need to do to ensure parents' rights, to ensure the centrality of fathers specifically in a culture that is very much seeing the role of dads as optional. And of course here at CCV, we're going to say that's not okay. And that fatherhood is important, not only to families, but to our communities and to our society as a whole. Absolutely. And you know, I think this is one of those, those topics that, um, you know, it, so many areas that that all flow back to this right this is a this is a hub issue in so many ways uh the the centrality of fathers in a, in a kid's life um and when you know when you're looking around at our our state and our nation and our communities um and seeing so many problems this is one of those things that uh, a lot of those things flow out of not having dads around right and and it's also um you know i, I think from a, a public policy side uh, it's one of the hardest things uh, for us to uh, address, um, primarily because you know it is. It's first and foremost about having a, a population that chooses to do to do what's right. You know that that, that chooses to uh, not sleep around. That chooses yeah. to invest in one another, and and so it it makes you end up seeing. And, and this gets into the whole sphere sovereignty thing that we we won't get too by you know. Uh, distracted by, but you, you end up seeing when, when dads are devalued and dads aren't around, government has to try to, or does try to step into roles that it's not designed or capable of filling. Yeah. And, and, you know, before we get too, too deep into, you know, Mother's Day is all about, oh, mothers are awesome. They're getting flowers. And then Father's Day is like, where are you at? Why are you not? <laughs> right. And so like, we want to, you know, I want to say that, um, you know, we honor you fathers that, um, that are engaged. Um, it, in all of this um, parental rights battle, culture war battle that we're seeing around the country right now. I mean, just the other day, ACLU basically said that they were uh, coming against HB8, uh, the Parents' Bill of Rights, just because, um, you know, it would require that schools would need to let parents know if there was ever an issue or a change in the kids' yeah. mental health or gender identity. Um, they specifically opposed the bill because of parental rights. And um, it's, it's caused an uproar all across the country. And on national news here in the state of Ohio, you know, you hear us talk about the Xenia case. I'm seeing strong men, specifically strong fathers, stepping up in a big way. And so I think that with all of the culture war that's happening, um, one of the positive things, not just for the church as a whole, but as, as, as fathers, is we are stepping up. 
and we, we've got our voice back again. And, and when, you know, we're stepping up at the mic to testify and you could tell the whole room that wasn't listening to anybody else when fathers step up, everybody's listening because it is rare. I mean, you know, African, African-American community are saying like 74% of our kids grew up in homes without dads. Um, you know, and, and we could look at that, but man, for, for the communities like the inner cities where, where so many of them don't have dads, I think we need to be looking at those that do have fathers. In my community where I raised my kids, many, many dads weren't around, but nobody was looking to me. Nobody was looking to, you know, at our church where we have many strong black fathers, uh, black and brown fathers who are standing in the grab, doing what they're supposed to do every day, and their stories just are never being told. So I want to honor them today um, a little bit and, um, and just encourage you, dads, get involved in standing up for your families. When we talked about last week, the different forms of government established by God, in that family government, you are the head, and we need to stand up and act like it. And I, and I think, Dave, what I what I love about that in, in particular is there's such, and, and I've obviously experienced this myself as a dad, but you see this um, in in the the millennial generation now, uh, and it's I'm sure it's been this way throughout time. But you know, men finding their purpose in fatherhood, right? This is this is one of the things that like, you know, why I've got yeah. When, when we're talking about cultural concerns, it's one of the the things that makes me so concerned about video game culture and, and things like this, which is, you know, when, when you don't have that, that purpose, that drive, uh, of, of caring for something more than yourself, right. right. Caring for, for a wife and yeah. caring for children. Um, you, you don't have that, that sense of purpose and meaning as much. It's not to say that you can't right? that, that, and especially again, you know, Paul in particular talks about the value of, of being single and, and, and your ability to serve the church. But even in that, it's, you have a purpose in serving church. Um, and, and this is, this is the, the, both the gift and blessing of being a dad is you just find such meaning and purpose that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. If, if I could just speak to that, there, there was one, um, I was preaching in, in halfway houses and detention centers all across the country. And I was teaching fatherhood programs for, um, pregnancy centers and, and, and halfway houses. But um, I was going in on a series with some dads and, and I was testifying and, you know, about how my father wasn't there. Um, and I came across this verse. Um, it's, it's found in Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are uh, sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children, your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Um, and you were unwilling right? Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When I was teaching about my father and testifying, it was kind of in a negative light. And the Lord rebuked me one day when I was doing my devotions. And he's saying, if you think about when your father, right, who was doing drugs and everything, but he came to the Lord. If you think about the timeline of when your father came to me, right? Got his life right with me. It was the same time I, who was a teen father at the same time, no connection with my dad, but my life began to turn during that same point in the timeline. Even though I wasn't talking to my dad, there was a spiritual authority. There was a connection there that I had never acknowledged until the Lord checked me. So instead of dishonoring your father for what he didn't do, you need to understand the spiritual authority and connection of who he was and what his role meant in your life spiritually, because it says here, dads, it, you know, those of you who are praying for your kids and, 
you know, your kids are going through all kind of crazy and you're praying for them. The scripture says that I wanted to reach out to them, but I couldn't because you were unwilling. But when my father was willing to declare Jesus as who he was, um, even though we didn't have a relationship, my life began to change. I began to see the Lord and it changed the entire legacy of my family. Just want to drop that on y'all yeah. today. Mm. That, that's a good word. And I thought you brought your Bible in so that we could have an intervention with Mike here. With all well, the... it's probably necessary. <laughs> he's been using. <laughs> to be honest with. I he's, him to the Lord last week. He's been putting Vince to the work. All the profanity Mike normally uses on this podcast is. You never just, hear it because of the work of Vince. Yeah, so thank you, our, thank you, thank you for for keeping me clean and, the, and making uh, this a family fam friendly podcast. Right. Well, along those lines, before we jump into the, the public policy side of this, and, and I want to acknowledge how, how nuanced this is trying to fill that fatherhood gap or void that, that we're seeing that needs these public policy solutions. Like church, this is a place that we can, that we can step in and it's, we're never going to be able to replace a, a father, right. but the church is more uniquely positioned to bring strong male role models Amen. into the lives of children and families who need it better than anything we can do across the state house. And, and it's a call to the church to see the need, to fill the need and, and to, to fill that gap and, and be what, what people don't have with, mm -hmm. with an absentee father. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's another part of this too, Mike, that I think is, is essential, especially again today with, with the way that so many of us view the world because of social media and because of the internet. And again, and I can even just speak to myself in this is that it's easy to get caught up um, as an individual Christian in these macro narratives, right? Mm -hmm. B because you can get involved in a, you know, you know, debate with somebody around the world over what we should be doing in Ukraine, right? And, and things like that. Or, or you can feel like you're participating in some national effort to, you know, maybe it's protect life, to, to, to end abortion or, or some national effort on, on whatever. Um, and, you know, I thinking of a verse we talk about a lot at, at, at CCV for a uh, section first Timothy two that talks about praying for those in governing authorities. And we, we use that verse a lot, but we, we often cut it off at the very important moment, right? That, that, that it's the, the, so that why, why are we praying for them? Right. So that you may, uh, may lead a peaceful and quiet life right. in mm -hmm. all godliness. And what, what, what I think is particularly relevant for that in, uh, in this context is, you know, really our, in our kingdom mission, um, one of our most important things we need to be doing is thinking, is shrinking our lives down and thinking about those in front of us, our, our children, our, our, our loved ones, our church, the, that, that's, that is our first ministry, right? So we, you know, and this is me saying this is the president of CCV that cares about macro issues that, right? That's what we live in. We're, we're, we're going to talk about this parents bill of rights to protect parents' rights all across the state, or yeah. we're going to talk about school choice to provide, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids more opportunities to attend the school of their choice. Those things matter, mm -hmm. um, but but they don't uh, replace, and they they can't they don't change our first and foremost uh, you know calls to those around us, especially as as fathers, the 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 kids we've been blessed with. Yeah, that's a great segue into those public policy issues, Aaron, and specifically let's start with the the Parents Bill of Rights. I feel like that's one of our bills that we haven't talked about as much on the podcast. So I'll let Dave describe it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do one thing I've not done on this podcast a lot for good reason is actually compliment him, but Dave, I'll let you describe <laughs> the bill. <'cause laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, we had, you know, we had to watch it a little bit and, and uh, thankfully we were able to get involved, but it basically just makes the statement, which is beautiful that parents are the number one authority 
over the health and you know education of their children. And I think legally that is huge, right? That, that it just sets that precedent in the state that we acknowledge the role of parents for what it is, the authority of parents for what it is. Um, it does deal with uh, several issues, including um, a piece that was taken out of the SAFE Act uh, that dealt with the indoctrination of children without the consent of uh, their parents, especially with gender identity. That was plugged in uh, to the Parental Bill of Rights, huge win there. Um, you know, health care, uh, you know, in schools and things like that, you're not going to be, you know, putting kids on vaccinations and things without without the acknowledgement of parents. And, and, and the media, it's getting a bad role. Like it's the don't say gay bill again. And but it doesn't say that you can't do anything. It just says that when you do these things, you have to, number one, notify parents and number two, get their consent. That's what all the uproar is about. And uh, as, I, as I was talking about with the ACLU. Well, and, and to I'll just say that's all right, and this is exactly why this bill matters. And, I, and I'll even say, you know, I think one of the most important things about this bill uh, long term that's going to really be a, a culture shaper for the state and protect parents um, big picture is it, it states very clearly that parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, mm-hmm. and care of their kids. So that's if this bill passes, if this bill becomes law, that would go into Ohio law. Isn't that and, sad that we have to have a bill to say that? Exactly. That's oh yeah. That, that, I mean, think about what you just said. Right. Right. Novel. Like, this is a, a baseline principle here, um, but big picture as we think about all that, you know, the the examples of government trying to get in between a parent and their uh, and their kids, having that put into law is going to have so much good uh, done for our state long term. The thing I, I do want to say, though, and and this is this is why the work of CCB matters. This is why I'm I'm grateful to get to be a part of this ministry. Is this bill got introduced and it had some major major problems, right? Mike, you made the comment that we hadn't talked about this bill a lot, um, and that's because when it came out, we were going to have to oppose it because there were some things in there that we looked at and said, actually, this is going to create some problems for uh, parents mm-hmm. and kids. Um, and David and, and the team did such a phenomenal job of coming alongside lawmakers and saying, hey, look, this is here's concerns that we have about this, and here's, here's how I, we see what you're trying to accomplish, and it, you know, is this what, you, what you're trying to yeah, you know, Yes, this is what we want to do. Okay, l- l- let's work with you on, on getting there. Um, and it was just a beautiful process of, of working through this um, to, to, to get this done, and, and um, and again, it's not done yet. We got to get it passed out of the House, That's and so right. it has to pass out of the Senate. We need to get the governor to sign it, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is why, you know, and, and this is one of these things that, you know, I, I, we talk about this all the time uh, that CCV, we're, we're, we're running in so many different directions from planting schools to working on legislation to the Christian Business Partnership to issue one and, and the abortion initiative and all this stuff. Um, that you know, a lot of times these things, you know, the, the work that Dave and his team are doing on the policy department, uh, just kind of goes unsung because it's it's we don't have time to say, hey, but you know, by the way, did you see how we helped you know worked on this bill to get this fixed or stop this from happening or, um, you know, uh, and I, it, again, it it just makes me grateful just as a as a citizen of Ohio, as a dad, that there's guys like Dave Mahan and Nalani Jawahar. That are working with. <laughs> I was going to say thank you, man. You don't show no love. I, like, again, see, this is why like, I don't do like, this. It's like this I is just exact, want to say, man, right. I appreciate you, man. This is why I don't do this on this podcast. You right? can't. You I, can't. I can't. It's not taken seriously. I try seriously. to say something nice about him. 
Let this is be. why you don't say nice things about her. Exactly. This is why we don't say nice things. Exactly. People so. have come to expect this. Yeah. <laughs> well, along uh, public policy wins this week. Safe Act. Yeah. We got it Major. out of committee. Major. And I think it's worth discussing, too, the fact that uh, Save Women's Sports got amended into the Safe Act. So really two wins of getting a couple priority bills for CCV out of committee and hopefully coming up to a vote on the floor of the Ohio House really, really soon. Well, and, and to, to that, Dave, I'll let you describe how all that happened. But I, I want to first say, you know, again, phenomenal work by the CCV policy team. But especially, this is where leadership matters. Mm -hmm. And Representative Gary Click, the sponsor right. of the SAFE Act. Uh, Representative Jenna Powell, the sponsor of Save Women's Sports. And then Representative Ryan Stewart, uh, who is just a, a true champion and leader. Um, and and a, a, a fighter down there, right? Like he, he, he and, and he's brilliant, you know, he's, he's an attorney. But the way they held the line and have driven these issues and bills forward and the fact that the bill came out of committee with the core protections on banning surgeries, cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, yeah. and saying that you lose your license if you, your medical license, if you do these things is nothing less than a heroic uh, and Herculean lift by, by these lawmakers to, to draw the line and say, this is what we have to do in the state. Yeah. This is one of those areas where I struggle because, you know, it's, it's how the sausage is made that most people don't get to see. And, and I'm so proud of how the body of Christ came together on this. I mean, there were so many. There were some there were some moves to water down this bill um, like in the past. And and uh, and it didn't really get watered down, thankfully. But it, it didn't just happen like that on its own. Um, like some of the members you talk about, I think of Angie King. Uh, phenomenal in the hearings. Uh, Demetrio, phenomenal. Bird, everybody just kind of held the line um, on making sure that we're going to protect kids all the way in the state of Ohio. Even the opposition hearing, um, because of our leadership there on the committee, went our way, right? So whenever you had the opposition coming in saying that, oh, the, the studies that you're quoting are wrong, our, um, everybody on our side was like, okay, well, then you show me one longitudinal study, one longitudinal study that says that what you're wanting to do with kids is effective. And they couldn't, and they held mm -hmm. them to the line. Channel 4 said that you're doing surgeries on kids under the age of 18 in the state of Ohio. Um, you said that you're not, you know. Um, you say you're not referring kids to these surgical facilities underage. Um, what do you call it if they're not, you know, referrals? So I, I do have to give some love to, uh, to, to Rep Lips. Mm -hmm. uh, Chairman, Chairman Lips, who yeah. ran a very tight ship, right, uh, and uh, it was very fair uh, in how he ran those committees, and so just all around. But but my my man Click, um, he catches a lot of heat, uh, a lot of heat in the uh, media, but he has done a phenomenal job over the last couple years, and and uh, making sure that we get a good bill passed, and we're not done. Um, it's probably going to be next week uh, before it gets down to the floor, and it will be something to see. Mm -hmm. uh, with all the bills, say women's sports, right? You know, say fact, uh, uh, you know, the parental bill of rights all next week. So Lord we're, willing, we're going to be pushing. Yeah. Lord, willing, we're going to be pushing and asking for the body of Christ to step up again. Uh, and then we're going to do it again when it gets to the Senate. And again, and again, and again, and again. And again. right. You are the answer here. Right. Amen. Amen. And, Last thing we want to talk about is uh, Senate budget. And you mentioned some of the school choice options that are, that are part of this necessity of, okay. What no, did so I step I'm, in? I'm, what no, did I step I'm, in, I'm laughing at myself. Okay. Cause, cause right. Dave, no, Dave, Dave just said how sausage is made. Okay. So 
We, you want to see how sausage is made. Here's how the sausage is really made at CCB. When, when the Senate budget comes up for a vote, when they bring it to, by the time they bring the actual budget to the floor for the vote, they, you know, there's some bills that go up to the floor that you're wondering, do they have the votes, right? On the budget, they never bring the budget to the floor unless they know right. the mm-hmm. votes are there, right? And so we obviously knew, okay, it's going to the floor. It's going to pass. And so uh, we write a statement that says what we think about it. And uh, I write that statement and I give it to our comms team to say, hey, here's what we want to say. And I just put, uh, get this set up. I said, let's let's get this ASAP. And uh, it just, we said the statement before the bill was actually passed. (laughs) And that was my fault because I said, let's get this out. Let's get this ASAP. Um, and so now, right now, you should now, probably blame the comms director. On I that really one. want to blame the comms director, I think you but should. I, I actually have to like this is and and literally as we're recording this, they're still giving speeches on the bill, and I'm like, please just stop talking so we can because <laughs> this is that so, awkward so, moment. So are you saying this is your fault? <laughs> this is this is one th- I will listen. Most of the time, I'm blaming everybody else for the problems is that around a yes? here. Is yes, that, okay. This is one thousand percent. Ladies and gentlemen, a rare moment yeah, of humility from Aaron Bear right here, exclusive to the narrative. It is, it is painful for me right now, but uh, this is, yeah. Anyway, it's we are we're excited about what the Senate budget has. That's right. Um, it is. So let me be clear: it's not backpack. We were hoping that we'd get backpack bill yeah. in this budget. It's not backpack, but it is maybe the most uh, the largest expansion of school choice uh, that the state's ever had. And it's 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 half a pack, right? If you will, <laughs> it's half of what we wanted to get through like this. a fanny pack, exactly. Or exactly. Yeah, it's good, <laughs> right? Or those too. or those new weird uh, maybe Grace is in here. What are those new like weird like purse things that that like they're like they're like fanny packs except they wear them yes. over their shoulders. They're I don't know still that fanny packs. They're, they're a fanny pack. They're I don't know, um, <laughs> but the uh, the baseline on it is that it does make every child in the state eligible for a scholarship, right? Um, but uh, after a certain level, after about 450% federal poverty level of income, uh, of, of uh, annual gross income, uh, it starts to uh, scale down, right? So they, they put what, what we would call means testing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we think the, the better approach for school choice um, is, and the, the ideal approach for school choice uh, is every child is eligible um, for the same amount, right? This is this is for us uh, something that we want to both be honest with lawmakers about and say, hey, we we really like this. We think there's a better way of going about, and so we want to continue to to push them there to get to what we think is the best thing for kids. And we also want to be honest with our our supporters and our our friends all over the state who have been working with us. To, to pass backpack and there you might see some headlines that says hey we've gone to universal ed choice or universal school choice um and in some ways yes but in some ways no we're not we're not there yet right so we're we're we're, we're not taking the victory lap that it's completely done but this is a massive step on the road to it um i will say very clearly we we nobody was talking about making every kid eligible you know, a few years ago, right? And this is because of the the grassroots pressure, because of people getting involved and sending those yellow post postcards and and talking to their lawmakers. We took a massive step forward that's in this right. budget, um, but we still got work to do. And and that's that's what this is, right? And and we're gonna 
uh, continued to, to drive. And again, we're not even done with the budget yet, right? We still have to see what the House is going to do and if they're going to go to conference committee and what the governor is going to do. And so we're, we're still in process. Um, but, uh, you know, know when you read our statement that just came out, um, that for at least a good 45 minutes afterwards, I was in pain and agony because we <laughs> sent it out before. And there might even be typos in it. I didn't mind it that bad. I didn't think it was that bad. Exactly. I kind of enjoyed it. You know, <laughs> you know, my pain is what you enjoyed. The statement you were okay with. The... That's the big deal. Uh, well, good stuff as always this week, gentlemen. And uh, we've got more coming up for you. We're going to talk with Bob Vanderplotz from The Family Leader about all things related to the 2024 Republican presidential primary. It's a great conversation. Hope you stick around. Coming up on The Narrative. Hey, Narrative listeners, you know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian chamber of commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan. I'm going to step aside just for a minute because, Aaron, I think you're in a little better position to introduce our, our guest today as one of the, the fellow presidents of a family policy organization in our in our network. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I was really blessed to have uh, Bob Vanderplotz from the Family Leader in Iowa join us. Bob has been a, a, a good friend, a, a mentor in many ways with his leadership in Iowa, really uh, leading the nation in this, uh, this gospel-centered uh, state-based movement to impact public policy uh, for the good of our neighbors and for the good of our country. Uh, and uh, and the family leader has really uh, exemplified, especially when we start talking about elections uh, and how Christians should be engaging on these issues. Uh, they really uh, sort of charted the course on how we should be thinking about this and, and impacting these elections in a meaningful way. So, Bob, thanks for uh, thanks for all you do, brother, and thanks for being here with us. Thrilled to team with you guys at at CCV. Uh, we it's a valuable partnership. We're in this together. We're we're better together. And Aaron, just really appreciate you and your leadership there as well. So uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, Bob. So Bob, I mean, already we're we're still you know several months out from the beginning of the presidential election, uh, but everyone's already looking at twenty twenty four, and already a number of these candidates have come through your office so far. So can you can you tell us which of the presidential candidates have stopped by your your office off in in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa, so far? Well, quite a few have, and they've either been to our offices or they've been to my home, uh, my and Darla's home. Uh, they visited us in Mark Island, Florida in February, uh, when Darla and I escaped to Florida in the month of February, but several have. Uh, so Nikki Haley's been out here, Mike Pence has been up here, Vivek Ramaswamy has been, Asa Hutchison's been, Tim Scott has been. Well, I actually wanted to go straight to that that leadership summit here to, to talk a little bit about it. You know, Bob, as as uh, as as nice of a guy as you are, you're one of the best guys to have a meal with uh, and hang out and hear stories from and all that. Uh, you know, you've also uh, really made a statement in Iowa, uh, the both you and the family leader about uh, people who want to be president, people who want to win the caucuses. Uh, they they got to come talk to you. Why do these candidates feel 
so much uh, feel like they need to come see your office, come talk to you, come meet your team. Uh, why, why is uh, the family leader so important in this process? Yeah, I'm not so sure if it's me or the family leader that's all that important, but it is a base that we represent. Um, Aaron, as you know, we have 2,400 churches that are plugged into our ministry in the state of Iowa alone, and that's all across our state. And, and we have 2,700 pastors plugged into our, our ministry, and they're plugged in in tangible ways. So this just isn't a database. And because of their voice and their movement, they were able to elect Mike Huckabee, the winner in 2008, to the Iowa caucuses. Uh, 2010, they ousted three Supreme Court justices. Uh, 2012, they had a surprise victor in Rick Santorum. And in 2016, honestly, it was a surprise victory for uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, Donald Trump was supposed to win the Iowa caucuses. Cruz came from behind and beat Trump. And so I think it's more our base than it is me or the family leader. It's just that we're the recognizable faces and voices that represent this base that they want to come and see us. Bob, I, I do want to talk real, real briefly as well about the upcoming uh, leadership summit that you guys are hosting. And it's really become a, a staple uh, in, in sort of the, the American presidential primary process uh, that candidates have to come and talk to uh, Christian voters at, at the at the leadership summit. Can you talk about what this is and why it's become uh, such a you know sort of landmark in the presidential uh, race? That's a great question. Uh, our leadership summit, first of all, I'll tell you what it's not. Uh, it's not a cattle call. And so we always say principle over politics defines our leadership summit. And so we'll we'll thread the needle of biblical worldview. And we'll do that with a pastor out of Ohio this time. Uh, Alistair Begg is going to be our keynote. And I know, Aaron, he, you know him well. He's a big fan of what you guys do at CCV. Uh, we're big fans of his, and we're thrilled that he's going to be keynoting our biblical worldview section. Uh, but interspersed during the day will, will be Dr. Bill Lyle on the sanctity of human life. And there'll be the Family Leaders Church Ambassador Network our elections and policy team, I'll speak. And then through all that, we'll be having different national voices who have chosen to be candidates in 2024 be interviewed. So it was, this is not a stump speech. Right. So yeah, Tucker Carlson's going to be doing the interview. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's going to be, it's going to be great. We're really looking forward to it. So Bob, th this is where I want to, you know, bring the guys in and, and, and just have a, a broader conversation now, because uh, this is, this is one of these sort of core questions we get at CCV all the time. I know you get all the time uh, at the family leader is, is how do we think about these, these candidates? How do we think about who to vote for? Um, not just as sort of American citizens, but first and foremost as Christians. Uh, so Bob, I mean, you've been a candidate, you have, you know, you've been uh, engaging in this process for a while. Uh, what are sort of the core uh, pillars for you as you're evaluating a candidate, figuring out who you're going to vote for? What are those core things for you to, that you think through? Well, you know, for me, it's uh, one is uh, Exodus 18, verse 21. You know, are they trustworthy? Are they capable? Do they hate dishonest gain? Um, you, you're running to be leader of the free world. And in the scriptures, Romans 13 talks about being a minister of God. As I speak across the country here, and I think you've heard me say this before, we don't lower the bar just because you're a politician. 
Uh, matter of fact, it might be one of the highest callings Scripture has uh, to be a servant in the public arena, representing the institution of God's, which is government. And whether you're a state legislator in Ohio or Iowa, or a federal official in Washington, D.C., or the president of the United States, the higher you go up, the greater the accountability has got to be. So I tell people all the time, never lower the bar because they are a minister of God. And so, yeah, they can be a bold and courageous leader. The scripture says you should be a bold and courageous leader. But you should be able to speak truth, do it in love, be winsome to win some, be grace-filled. Uh, but you still can be a strong leader here. And so uh, we look for people who would not be disqualified for the prize, as Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians 9. They're not disqualified for the prize. They're not. Our, their testimony is not disqualified. And by us backing them, our testimony is not disqualified. We believe you can have yes and. You can have a great CEO of the federal government being the president of the United States while being a, a very effective statesman for our Lord in that arena. We should separate those two. We should combine those two and have the highest of standards and not lower the bar in any way, shape, or form. You know, Bob, we uh, were interviewing um, some Senate candidates uh, quite a bit last year, and um there was a response that we got from one in particular, not going to mention his name, but um, there were a bunch of donors around him and they said, well, um, how do we know that you are the guy that you're not just going to get up there and uh, just seek your own purposes or whatever, your own agenda. And he says, you don't. Um, that's why it's very important for me. And he said that there's several people recommended this, that he surround himself with folks who would kind of, you know, be his, um, uh, shield from, you know, some of those different things that are going on at that level of the game. What, 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 what advice would you give to a member who is like, maybe he's that trustworthy guy in the beginning, you know, honorable, loves family, loves country. But so many times we see him get up there and get influence and, and power and they go off off the reservation somewhere, but what, what, what would you say that person needs to keep that from happening? Well, the first thing I'd say, David, first of all, it's a very insightful question. Um, and any leader, and in particular, if you're president of the United States, you should understand you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And so you want to surround yourself with good, godly people who can give wise and discerning counsel. If they're not a godly person, I really don't want them giving me counsel. Right. So, First of all, you need a good and godly person to be surrounded with you. But this would also be a challenge I would have for the church, David. So often, a person feels called to run for public office, and they get elected. And right away, that church starts distancing themselves hmm. because I don't want to be involved in politics. We see government as a mission field. And you had somebody called to run and called to go in this mission field right now, that's when the pastors, the church needs to come around that person. Yeah. And we always say, hey, think Nathan to David. The reason Nathan, when Nathan was able to speak truth to David, you're the man, is Nathan had a relationship with David. That's right. And so pastors, you need to have a relationship with that candidate, with that office holder, whether that's a state legislator, a mayor, or what's president of the United States, but you need to get out of that relationship. Right. 
And matter of fact, as I talked to Chuck Grassley, who's now 90 years old, I believe, serving in the U.S. Senate, and I believe he took office when he was 12, but he's been there forever. <laughs> and I asked uh, Senator Grassley, who was in my office one day, I said, who has the most influence on your vote? And he talked about his wife for a while, but then he said, if his pastor calls him, he has to listen to him. And the reason is because of headship. You know, that pastor is representing God. And so they're in the truth of God's word. So pastors have a high call here. Do not abandon these candidates and do not abandon these office holders, but come alongside of them and see that this is a mission field that when orchestrated right, you know, it can bring revival to this country with the church, government, and family all playing a part. I love that. It's not about politics. It's about making up the hedge around those watchmen over us. Yeah. I want to go back to 2016 here with with you real briefly because th this this conversation is is similar to one we've been having now for you know the better part of you know eight nine years now of you know at, at the time it was hey we have this guy in Donald Trump um, who uh, had a you know maybe as as bad of a past as bad of a history as you could imagine in terms of you know appearing in uh, on the cover of Playboy and owning casinos and. You know, at, at one point having pro-abortion statements out there and all these things, um, and and obviously all of the 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 sort of personal life stories that come affairs, all of this kind of stuff, um, and you know, for a lot of Christians, myself included, ultimately encouraged folks to vote for him, whether it's in sixteen or twenty. Um, how did you process those two elections, um, and how is it informing what? you're thinking of, you're thinking going into 24. Well, I wrote an op-ed about this, Aaron, before the 2020 election. And I wrote the op-ed as if I was writing to my boys. In 2016, after Trump had secured the nomination, and I was in his office at his request, and we met one-on-one -on -one for 45 minutes. And uh, he still wanted my endorsement, although he didn't need it anymore. And I, ne I said, I'm never going to give you my endorsement, and I never did. I said, but I will be a friend to you, and a friend will pray for you daily, a friend will cheer you on, and a friend will hold you accountable when you go outside the lines. And I think whether it's CCV or the family leader or anybody who is part of our base or supporters who's watching this, that should be our role with every one of these individuals. Pray for them, cheer them on, hold them accountable. This is not about a seat at the table. Too often what we see in politics, and which turns the church away, is I want access. I want a seat at the table. If if he drops the F-bomb or does this or does that, well, that's okay because he or she's on my team. No, that's not okay. Amen. And I think you only gain credibility with those who are watching you, in particular your children or grandchildren, if you're willing and able to call that out in the platform that God's given you. Another, another aspect for this is we're now looking ahead at 2024. Um, as you're looking at the field, you know, I think, you know, every, every candidate right now is being weighed in so many ways uh, in light of Donald Trump. Right. Mm. Um, and, and obviously the, the most recent indictment and all of that. Now everyone's being, asked to respond to that, right? When 
when you're looking at this field and you're kind of trying to figure out both who you're going to be voting for and potentially if, if you guys are going to make an endorsement, who's that's going to be? What what is the things that you're most looking for uh, in 24 uh, with with this race coming up compared to maybe previous years even too? Well, one is I think uh, you want to take some lessons from the former president about being bold and courageous in the leadership, moving an embassy to Jerusalem, defunding large parts of Planned Parenthood, giving a vigorous stance on religious liberty, uh, reviving an economy, doing things that, you know, he did a lot of things that were good and quite frankly, uh, much more expeditious than many of us thought, appointing three Supreme Court justices but then also have an ability to be winsome where, you know, this is probably put too lightly or too shallowly, but it kind of goes down to, I want parents and grandparents to be able to look at their children and their grandchildren and say, we want you to grow up to be like him, like her. That is what I believe is the quality that we need in a statesman today. And I think, frankly, that's the former president's highest hurdle. I have not heard of a parent or a grandparent to date tell me that they want their grandchild or child to grow up to be like Donald Trump. That's an issue. That's where we need to have a higher bar. And so the former president, I think his biggest challenge right now that we see in the state of Iowa, and I think it's reflective across the country, is do, do you really believe you can win in 2024? Or as too much of America, in particular soccer moms and independents, have they made up their mind on you? And so then the alternatives to Trump, they A, needed to show that they can be a bold and courageous leader. They have a compelling vision for the future, but they also can win and be a role model for America and America's families. How much of the secret sauce of Trump is is money? Um I mean, very few people can push back against the media like he does. Um, what is the secret sauce that enables him? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that can be the voice of the people, right? There's a lot of people that can be persuasive and influential. But how much of his secret sauce is just money? I'm not so sure I'd say it's money, uh, David. Although, obviously, you know, reportedly he's done very well. <laughs> he's done very well. Uh, I think there's still a question out there about how well uh, has he done. But I think what Donald Trump showed is that he can relate to the common individual. Uh, if you think about who makes up the base of his support, a lot of them are not the the wealthy class right? Yeah. at all. It's your blue-collar workers. Uh, he's brought in those people back in droves. And so I think his secret sauce is he's a consummate marketer he knows what people want. Hmm. And so therefore he becomes relatable to them. And so if they attack Trump, they 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 feel like they're attacking them. Okay. So for example, with their most recent indictment, yeah, they're the indictment is against Trump, but to a lot of Trump supporters, they believe it's against them. Okay, because they're going after them. That's been kind of his secret sauce of being able to say this is about you and i'm here to defend you i'm here to advance you and that's what he's done i think he's done it you know very effectively because he is a good marketer now that being said when the media asked me so well you know evangelicals just rallied around him in 2016 
I reminded them, no, they didn't. Not at all. I said the reason they rallied around Donald Trump is that they rallied against Hillary Clinton. That's right. They knew who Hillary Clinton was, so they're willing to throw the dice and take a gamble on Donald Trump. And then because Trump is a transactional leader at his heart, if you do good by me, I do good by you. If you do bad by me, I do bad by you. And since the evangelicals helped win him the presidency, there came three Supreme Court justices. There came the embassy to Jerusalem. There, there came standing up for the sanctity of human life. So transactional leaders can do transformational things. It just depends who they're carrying out the transaction with, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think it's, it's something we've talked about uh, a little bit around here, too. And it, it sounds funny to a lot of folks. But I think you just can't underestimate that uh, how much uh, you know Trump was a ha- had an authenticity that most voters had not seen before, right? Which which sounds funny because he is, you know, everyone can probably document multiple lies that they've seen Donald Trump say throughout his and a lot of times it's lies that you're like, why would you even lie about that? That doesn't make sense. But it was he he was who he was on 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 stage, right? So he was a New York bil- billionaire who. Uh, or a millionaire, you know, depending on how much he actually has, right? Um, who who was a, a business guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so he was just being himself on stage instead of this sort of canned makeup up candidate. And I think that was one of the things you saw uh, in this last primary here in Ohio, where you know, in Ohio right now, so many times it says who can be the most Trumpy in a primary, That's and you had hilarious. you had some candidates, and I, I'm going to leave names off to protect the innocent. But you had some candidates who said, oh, people like Trump because he's a fighter and he's kind of crass and he's always punching and all this kind of stuff. And so they kind of changed their demeanor. They changed who they were to to act like that. And it was actually cutting against the very reason people liked Trump, which was, well, you know, at least he's he's being himself up there instead of so canned and so scripted. Um, And again, that none of this kind of cuts against anything Bob has said in terms of what we should demand, what we should push for in a candidate. But it is something that I think a lot of candidates have missed on in terms of understanding what the Trump phenomenon was and actually how bad it had gotten for so many candidates that people were just tired of of sort of the the phony, the fake candidate up there uh, and not willing to go along with it any longer. Bob, as we look forward to the the primary this year with this new field of candidates, a lot of them running for the first time. and, And as you've said, They've got to try and distinguish themselves from Trump a little bit. They have to establish themselves as strong leaders. But at the same time, uh, you mentioned, too, attacking Donald Trump makes it feel like a personal attack on his base. And yet Aaron's rightly pointing out about the authenticity that people need to bring to the table. So how are these candidates uh, just obviously in your own speculation and and, uh, your experience with this? How are they going to be able to do that, to separate themselves in, in a meaningful way from this? rather grandiose shadow that Donald Trump still casts. Yeah. They, they have to thread a very awkward needle because they, they can't lose the Trump vote and Trump support if they want to be president, if they want to win the general election. Uh, so therefore, like on CNN the other night, I said to, uh, to Aaron Burnett, I said, thank God for Chris Christie coming in the race because Chris Christie, all he's going to do is just go after Trump, go after Trump, go after Trump. And really, the other candidates, what we're seeing, they're applauding Trump for a lot of the things that Trump did. A lot of the leadership, uh, it was a way better time than, say, the Biden administration. 
But then they go to, but we need a winner. We need somebody who can cast a vision for the future, not to have a complaint against the past. Here's my results that I have that would give legitimacy to the vision that I cast. I can fulfill this. I can accomplish this. So they're trying to be complimentary of the former president where they can, while still trying to draw an audience to themselves, which there happens to be a large audience for that right now, of an alternative to Trump who can win in 2024, but who takes some characteristics of Trump in leadership to actually lead this country. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.